Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Central London service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. Okay, uh, Philippa and I uh, actually got married twice. Well, almost. We did have two services. We had our wedding service in a small country chapel where there was only space to invite a few of those that we wanted. And we had a second service when we got back from our honeymoon, a much larger service, which was essentially a Thanksgiving service where we could invite everyone that we wanted to. Now, at those sorts of services, you do not expect very much from the preacher. They might make the congregation laugh. They'll say some nice things about love. And then you move on. Not on the occasion of our Thanksgiving service. The preacher, who was also Philip and my pastor, decided to turn both barrels of his gun, his preaching gun, on me. He made it really personal. And he said, David, he said, I have a challenge for you. He said, will you commit yourself to generosity for the rest of your life? Will you commit yourself to being generous to Philippa and then generous to everybody else? And then he turned to Philippa and he made some points to her. And as I was relaying this to Philippa sort of 10 days ago, she said, what did he say to me? (laughs) And I said, I haven't got a clue. So all the, you know, no challenge on Philippa on that one. But 31 years later, I can remember and I've been working on it ever since, if I'm entirely honest. And I've thought actually a lot about that challenge. Uh, David the preacher knew me and it was a great challenge for me. And as I've thought about it, I've thought, well, you could express this in some other ways. One way would be this. Who are you becoming? I wonder whether you ever asked that question. Who are you becoming? Could ask, do you like who you're becoming? Ask it differently. When you are at the peak of your powers, whenever that is, what do you want to be known for? And do you envisage at that moment or that season in life that living for others, that generosity might be part of that? Or to ask the question slightly differently again. When you're in your later years, when you're 70 or 80 or 90, what sort of person are you going to be? My observation is that it's the things that people have worked hardest on in the earlier years that come out in the later years. How are you doing says he, turning the question that I've been wrestling with for 31 years, how are you doing at developing generosity in your life? And consciously or not, the preacher on that occasion many years ago was echoing the spiritual growth process that Psalm 1 describes. The psalm that Joe read, it starts with essentially a time when you or I or the person in this psalm falls for God, comes to faith. Do you remember the excitement of that time? And he says, uh, the writer says that at that time of 
just finding God in all his glory, that the individual meditates on God's law, loves God's law, meditates on it day and night. Who knows that when you fall in love with someone, you find all sorts of things interesting that you didn't do up until that point. And you, sometimes you see that in others as well. You think, I remember, remember my son, he recently got married, as some of you know, and he came in and he said, we're going for a hike. I love hikes. And I thought, when in the world did you ever go for hikes? <laughs> but that's what happens when you fall in love. And that's, the, that's what the psalmist is describing. I've fallen in love with God. He's ravished my heart. Suddenly I find things delightful and fascinating, which before I wasn't interested in. I stay up day and night thinking about God's law. And then the metaphor changes, or it changes to a metaphor. And the metaphor is this sort of person is like a tree by streams of water. And there's four things that describe this stream, uh, this tree. Firstly, it is a tree planted by streams of water. In other words, however much the sun rages in your life and however hot it gets, you have a stream to draw from which other trees don't. This is not a tree 300 yards from the water. This is not a tree half a mile from the water. This is planted right by it. So we delight in God's law. We find that however challenging and difficult life gets, there is something to draw from, or I should say some one to draw from. Then we're told this tree yields its fruit in season. In other words, whatever life is like, you're a giver. You've got things for other people. Fruit on trees is there when it's fully ripe for whom? For the picker. You take the fruit and you both the tree multiplies itself, but also it's there for the delight of others. And that's what the psalm is saying is saying that as you grow, as you draw from this stream, you become someone who gives to others. You have fruit. Then it says that you have leaves that do not wither. Whether it's a season of fruitfulness or not, whatever the storms that rage, it looks healthy. Who knows people who have shown remarkable grace in very difficult times? Maybe at point of death or other times and you just think where do you get this countenance this grace well that's what the psalmist is describing here and whatever they do prospers whatever they put their hand to seems to work out well I think this is a wonderful picture and I don't know about you but I'm all in for becoming that sort of tree I'd love to think that as I mature that I can share my energy, my love, my wisdom, if I get some, and my resources with those around me. And the psalmist, there's no commands in this psalm, but there is an implicit assumption or hint. If you will cooperate with God, that is the natural outworking of the spiritual life. If you will keep saying yes to him, you will become one who sustains yourself in difficult times always has things to give to others, shows health and life and prospers in what you do. And it's not only a picture for us individually and what God wants to work in us, but it's a picture of how we should be together. How all these trees, as they come together, the, 
the blessing that we provide more broadly. If you were to fly over northern Ethiopia, you would see an arid and, uh, and often desert-like landscape. But across it, from time to time, there are small forests. And in the middle of each of those forests is a church. In fact, these forests have become known as church forests. And I think it's a wonderful picture of how the church should be in an arid and demanding environment. In fact, and this, this came off a National Geographic article. In the article, it says that individuals talk about coming out of the heat of the sun into this cool and verdant environment where they can hear animals uh, singing, where there is fruitfulness and where there is life. And I would love to think that that is, and that that is to be how we could serve this city and how we could serve the people of central London, that as we grow together, we create shade. We can't do that for everyone in this city. That's one of the reasons that we've started a whole load of other services. It's so that as we start, you know, we now have a service in Sutton that is just going great. Now, they will touch and serve and help all sorts of people in that part of South London that you and I will never get to. We will, with possibly a few exceptions when the whole church is together, never even meet these people. Yet we can be part of that. Who would have ever thought that your life and your fruitfulness might not just affect the people in your immediate circles, but could affect people right across this city. As service after service after service creates a sense of shelter and a sense of goodness for the people, for the people around. And so that's the picture that the psalmist gives us. And I want to just draw these two thoughts together. The challenge that I had to live a life of generosity and the picture of as we go deep into God, the giving, the generosity that we have for others. And of course, and you won't be surprised to know, I want to particularly apply this to financial generosity this morning because it is our gift day. Now, for those of you that are visitors, you should know we do not preach about money often. In fact, with the exception of last Sunday, it's a year since we spoke about it. Now, I don't know if you've, ever, if you've read the Gospels recently and noticed how much Jesus talked about money. He was always talking about it. But we want to, you know, we're seeking to just be sensitive to our context and the reputation in some settings in terms of the church. If you're here for the first time, you just got lucky this morning that we're talking about money because we don't often uh, do it. But that's what I, that's what I want to, take my reflections to this morning. How do we create a life of generosity? And you can apply everything that I say to generosity more generally. And if you feel like, mm, I've got the financial generosity thing, but I need to develop generosity in other areas, then you apply it in those areas instead. How can we develop generosity in our lives? I want to start, we, as we think about God's law and delight in it, I want to start with a couple of assumptions couple of things just to remind us of that the Bible says. The first is that money actually enables lots of good things to happen. It's not evil in and of itself. You sometimes, sometimes preachers will start with 
Money's not good. No, money can result in many good things happening. King David, King Solomon, Joseph of Arimathea, the guy who had a tomb going spare when they needed somewhere for Jesus' body to be put, are all examples of wealthy people who use their resources for good things. Not only can money be used for good things, but it is rightly used for our enjoyment. James says that God is the giver of everything, every good gift for our blessing. And the vision that Jesus gives us for the, new li- for the good life, the flourishing life, is one where we take things and we enjoy them knowing that he is the giver of them. So money enables many good things to happen. But the other baseline assumption I want to put in here is that money is also very, very powerful. And if you have money, you can buy things that make you feel excited or peaceful or happy, at least in the short term. And we will and people will pay an awful lot for those emotions, for those experiences. Money can make us feel important. It can make us feel successful. And it's because of its power that we all have something of a vulnerability to it as well. We can end up compromising on things because of the power of money. Hearing someone reflect this week on the fact that in the 1950s, the worker to leader pay ratio in a company was typically 20 to 1. Typically, the CEO earns a salary no more than 20 times that of the average salary of the worker. It is now, just 70 years later, the ratio is now 280 to 1. In some large companies, which are household names, which I will not mention, But nonetheless, the ratio now is 3,000 to 1. Now, what is happening? What is happening that in 70 years, a ratio can go from 20 to 1 to 3,000 to 1? It shows the power of money. Money is not bad, but it is powerful. And if we do not conquer the power of money in our hearts, it can end up, being a vulnerability for us. What I'm trying to say is simply money is a great servant and it's a really bad master. So what are the characteristics then of generosity? What are the characteristics of generosity? Well, firstly, as James says, money, Money belongs to our money belongs to God. He gives us the ability to breathe, to work, and to earn. Now, this is a powerful reality. In fact, when I preached this last week in Covent Garden, somebody came to me afterwards and said, You were fabulous. Thank you. Frankly, I didn't think I thought I was a long way from fabulous. But I said, Why? They said, Because this point makes all the difference. And this point makes all the difference in this way. I don't think, if God has given me all my money, I don't think, how much of my money shall I give? Because the reality is it's not mine. I actually think, Lord, you've given me everything. What do you want me to do with it? How much of it do you want me to give? 
What a revolutionary and different way of looking at things. And that is grounded in the fact that giving is part of our worship. We say that Sunday by Sunday. We often say, if you're a visitor here, please don't feel obliged to give. But if you're a regular here, this is part of our worship. It's the giving of our hearts. I remember the first time that I ever spoke on money at Christchurch London. It was 14 years ago, and we were meeting at the time in a wine museum on the South Bank. No longer exists. Those two facts are, have no relation to one another. The fact we met there, and it doesn't exist. But we were there, and I spoke, and I tried to lay out, I tried to do a summary. Here's everything, as best I can, in 35 minutes, on money. There was someone who came to me afterwards. They were a worshiper. They love to give their heart to God. It's the definition of a worshiper. You love to give your heart to God. And this person came to me and said, David, thank you so much for telling us what the Bible says about money. And this individual went away and was one of the largest givers to Christchurch London for the length of the time that they were with us. Now, the point is not the amount. The point was the, the attitude. And I, I was deeply affected then and remember it 14 years later. Just this like, you know, God, what do you want me to do? Money? Oh, okay. Well, that is the sign of someone who's really said, Jesus, you're Lord of all. I know when somebody comes to faith and starts to grow in faith, that when they start to give financially, then a really significant or important thing has happened in their hearts. Someone once said, when I got baptized, it wasn't just my body that got baptized, but it was my bank account that got baptized too. And there seems to be something so powerful about money. For me, the way that I keep the power of money at bay in my life is by giving regularly. Generosity has that power. Billy Graham, the famous Christian minister, took it even closer to the heart when he said this, if a person gets his attitude towards money straight, it will help straighten out almost every other area of his life or her life. Wow. Saying that there's just something so close to the subterranean streams of the way that you and I live that when we get money in the right place in our lives, it affects so many other things at the same time. So Paul encourages us to give regularly. He writes to the Corinthians actually on a day like today as they were preparing for an offering, and he says, he says, put money aside on the first day of every week. Now, to give once is a powerful thing for us. But to give regularly can have a revolutionary effect. To give once is a great thing in our lives. To do it regularly can be revolutionary. One of my heroes is an England cricketer, happened to be an aristocrat too, who in the 1890s felt the Spirit of God talk to him and say, you should go to China and share God's love with people there. He gave up his cricket. He was in the national team. And at the age of 25, he got a large inheritance. And for him at least, 
he was just like, how um, is, is an inheritance going to help me in China or is it going to hinder me? And for him, he felt it was going to hinder him, so he gave it all away. Well, I say all of it. He kept £3,400 for his bride. He was about to get married, and he wanted to give her a wedding gift. Her name was Priscilla Livingston Stewart. Do you know what she did with that £3,400? She gave it all away. They were clearly peas of the same pod. And he and his wife were responsible for remarkable things that happened in China, later in India, and later in Africa. Because there was something deep that had been worked in the heart of this worshipper. How are we doing in terms of worship? Joe said earlier, it's all about the heart. It's all about the heart. Malachi, the Old Testament prophet's challenge, is give the best of what you've got or the first of what you've got. picture that he uses is that of uh, a herd. And at the time, the Israelites are coming and they're bringing the, the runt of the litter. They're bringing the animal that's ill, the one they want to get rid of. Oh, it's an ex- here, I can look like I'm worshipping, but I'm just giving something that doesn't matter to me. And if you get a chance, Malachi's only four chapters. And if you want to read a prophet who's feeling pretty passionately, prophets always feel passionately about things, if you noticed. Well, Malachi does. He says, that is not the way to worship. You do not worship by setting your budget and having set your budget, say, what's left that I can give? He said, you decide at the front end, what do I want to give? And then you set your budget as a result. Along with that, of course, often, therefore, comes sacrifice. Part of what worship's all about. When I give my heart, I give sacrifice. It was C.S. Lewis, the English apologist, who was once asked, well, how much should I give? He gave a really smart answer. Let me read it to you. I don't believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc., is up to the same standard common amongst those with the same income as our own, we're probably giving away too little. I should say, I'm sorry, if our charities do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they're too small. There ought to be things that we like to do and cannot do because our charitable expenditure excludes them. What a challenging and I think fantastic comment. He's not saying there's an amount. And of course, right across this room, we have people who have plenty of resources and people who have very little resources. C.S. Lewis's challenge is that we give more than others in our income bracket. If there are things that we can do that we can't do, unless there are things that we can do that we can't do because we've given, he says then maybe we need to just ask the Lord again where we're at. Paul says to the Corinthians, back to Paul, and all these verses are coming up. We've just not got time to turn to them, so I make a note or screenshot them if you want to have a look at them. But Paul says to the Corinthians, he also says, listen, no pressure. Translated today, if you don't want to give, that's fine. Love you loads. You can be part of this. You don't have to give. In fact, I would say if you give 
just because you feel obliged. I'd rather you didn't. I'd rather you didn't. Give because of your you want to in your heart, or you take a pass. Uh, incidentally, we are taking this offering over a couple of weeks, so you've got time to think about it too. Give, Paul says also, give with faith. This is a spiritual exercise. I think Philippa talked a bit about this uh, last week. This is a spiritual exercise. I'm listening to the Lord. Lord, what do you want me to get? And then I trust you. No one has ever been obedient to God and then been short of the resources that they need to do his will. And so we listen to him. And I, I would say Philip and I have countless stories, and this church has countless stories of us giving and the Lord either providing in kind, in other words, giving money back from often from sources you couldn't possibly have imagined, or of giving us grace to do without. C.T. Studd was once told that they had almost, that the money had almost run out. His response, how wonderful, he said, because he knew that provision, miraculous provision, was somewhere just around the corner. Last thing on generosity. Paul says, give with joy. Give with joy. As we give today, or as we give next week too, rejoice that we're giving for the sake of others and the glory of God. Rejoice that you're giving, and in giving our hearts are liberated. And give out of the joy of obedience. It was Francis of Assisi who started a movement. He was a wealth, son of a wealthy merchant man. Uh, merchant businessman who felt God speak to him one day and say give away everything that you have and he started a movement that was known for radical generosity and extravagant joy in fact when Francis of Assisi was going around northern Italy if he came across a friar that was looking glum he'd get off his horse or, or stop walking and he would talk to him and he would rebuke him and he said why are you looking glum there's so much to be thankful for as followers of the king so we're to give with rejoicing. So some of us may say, okay, David, got it, got the message. Or some of us may say, well, look, that's the sort of life I want to develop with fruit for others. What are we giving to? What are we giving to? And there's three things we're particularly focusing on for this offering. The first is there's some things which we want to keep doing that we can't keep doing without taking an offering. A couple of examples, Alpha. We love what is happening with Alpha at this point in time. A year ago, we had a sort of review. We said, um, how's things going? What could be going better? And we said, here's many good things that are happening, but here's one thing that we'd love to see much more of is many more people finding faith amongst us. And we said, Alpha has always been the best vehicle for us in that. So we reinvested and we got a fantastic venue right by Oxford Circus and Liam Thatcher has been doing live talks rather than videos and we've been having great food and we thought if we start investing then over a while maybe 18 months or two years the church as a whole will start to rally behind this and we'll have lots of visitors and lots of people benefiting well to our amazement first term last term we had our largest alpha course for 10 years this term we have 
a course that is at least as large as any spring term course that we've ever had. Now, that, that it's nice to have a big course, but what I'm loving is the changed lives that I'm seeing and the people that I'm meeting. Some of you here this morning are graduates of Alpha over the last year. And I know it's because I've talked to you, it's done great things in your lives. And we're absolutely thrilled. I know if I were going to Covent Garden this afternoon, I would find people the same. And in fact, I go to Bethnal Green this afternoon, but there will be people there the same. So it feels like God is doing something fresh. We want to get right behind that. If there's one thing we exist for more than anything else, it is helping other people find what we found. So we want to give to Alpha. We want to give to two student workers, which we're recruiting for at the moment. One of those student workers will be based here. Just in case you've not noticed, we're meeting in a university. There are students around. And, you know, when Christchurch London started, we were almost in well, not, there were loads and loads of students. In fact, we now have people who came to Christchurch London as students who are leading Christchurch London services. But I, I've noticed recently that Christchurch London is getting older. I, with the exception of myself. But I've noticed everyone else is getting older. And uh, we love having people of every decade as part of this family. But we want also to make sure that we still keep having loads and loads of students. You know, one of the joys about uh, LSE, LSE is the, s has, is the second uh, largest university in the world for overseas students, largest proportion. So what a joy to welcome them in, help them find faith, help them understand what it means to follow Christ, and then send them all over the world. Do you know, you, your life can have an effect all over the world without you even leaving the LSE or leaving central London. So we want to invest in that. Then we want to get ready for service number seven. We want to get ready for service number seven. don't know whether you've been in Vauxhall recently, but if so, it is a serious building site. I mean, there are just apartments and blocks going up, not just at Battersea Power Station, but all over that area. Room for tens of thousands of people to move in. And so Tim and Jackie and the guys in Stockwell are like, that is our patch. We want to have an afternoon service ready to go there. So there's a group of them now that are meeting once a month in the afternoons, getting ready for that. So we want to collect the resource together so when they're ready, when there's enough of them to say, we're ready for Sunday afternoon, then we're like, here's the resource. We're ready to go. Pump is primed for that. And then thirdly, we've started thinking and praying seriously about buildings for Christchurch London. Buildings for Christchurch London. As we prayed and thought about the next 15 years of Christchurch London life, we're like, what can we hand on to the next group of Christchurch Londoners? And we think that buildings, Christchurch London owning buildings, is an important part of that. Now, let me just explain. A few of you will be thinking, buildings? I thought church was about people and God. And of course it is. But we think if we're going to be here long term, if Christchurch London's going to be here in 50 years, and Christchurch London's going to be here in 100 years, then we will need to develop some sort of physical basis as well. We think this is good stewardship. Currently, we are, we are renting in at least four different ways outside our Sunday services. Weekly, uh, weekly office space, 
rehearsal space for our bands, small, small midweek meeting space for prayer meetings and other meetings in the middle of the week, and storage space for all our kit. So all of that is going on rent. Now, you understand what that's like. Some of you feel the pain of that every time you pay your, your rent. So I'd like to, rather than be putting this into my landlord's bank account, I'd like to be paying off a mortgage. I'd like to be acquiring assets. And we think it's smart for the church to do that. As I said the other week, we have a small amount in a building fund right now. Anywhere else in the country, it would be a large amount. Here it is a small amount. It is £68,000. But we, over the next few years, want to add to that seriously and significantly until we've got enough so that we can start. And we're just doing, we're working out the spec of exactly what we want. Probably wouldn't be a Sunday meeting space, but it'd be a space that could put all those other four rental costs together, serve all the services together. And we're starting in a new way to develop our presence here in the heart of the city. So that's what we're giving for. And as I just come into land now, let me just ask you a couple of questions. Going back to the beginning, are you excited about who you're becoming? Are you excited about who you're becoming? And is generosity a growing feature of your life? Are others benefiting? Do others win because you are alive and following God? I'm going to ask the band to come back. If you guys could come back now. And here's what we're going to do over these. I'm going to pray in a minute. And then the band are going to play a song. And for once in Christchurch London Life, we're asking you not to stand and join in. This is our moments to pray and think and reflect on how we might want to contribute. So it's an opportunity to pray. As Joe explained earlier, these are on every seat. You can fill that in. You can rip it off. And you can put it in the envelope. Or there's pledge cards as well if you want them. So we'll have an opportunity just to pray and reflect and fill those out. Then I'm going to invite us all to stand. We'll sing our final song. And while we do so, the buckets will come by and we can take that offering. Just to say again, as I come into close, my encouragement, listen to the Lord. Listen to the Lord. I understand for some of you, it's like your first time here. You're like, what have I come to? We're just thrilled you're here. Take it easy. And uh, if you want to let the buckets pass, you just do that. But for others of us, we're like, this is ours. This is our family. This is our mission. This is what, where we get to play our part for the glory of God. And uh, we'd encourage you to be listening and seeking the Lord together. Let's pray. I'm going to lead us in prayer. You may want to bow your head. And, uh, and then we'll take a few minutes while Sarah and the band uh, just sing and play to us. Let's pray together. Father, we love the way that your presence was upon us as we sang and as we worshipped earlier. And we want to ask, come Holy Spirit again. Remind us of what you've done. Remind us of who you are. Remind us of your love. And lead us and prompt us and speak to us now. That the floodgates of heaven would be open. And that your blessing would be on this people, that this people might be a blessing to the world. Speak to each of us, Heavenly Father, I pray. Guide us, direct us, grant us faith and confidence in you, our loving God and provider. In Jesus' name.